Have you ever turned on a podcast in a public place and started listening, only for the three dumb hosts to suddenly start talking about Wolverine's cock? Well, it might happen if you listen here, so here's your friendly content warning that, um, we're gonna probably talk about Wolverine's cock, and we'll definitely swear a bunch. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're Aeronauts and we're back with more Word Balloons. We've been flying high on our own hot air, but have stopped our journey to Wonderworld to answer your nerdy questions. So with that in mind, Zach, what's our question this week? Why anime titties so big? This is what, so That's I... That's verbatim. That is verbatim how that question is written. I should just say, our friend Beth, who does the Talking Shit About podcast, and who... We've answered a lot of her questions at this mm-hmm. point. I have an educated guess that I don't think is at all correct, but it might be correct if we were to actually, like, do a couple weeks worth of research. I have a straight-up answer. Okay, but can I give my educated guess? Because I've been thinking about it all day. (laughs) I'm sure that's what you've been thinking about all day. Anime titties all day. Um, My guess is that it relates to the the already... Uh, existing over-exaggeration of emotions and features in anime that date potentially back to theater tropes and having to smart about it and having to play to the back of the audience what podcast do you think we're on right now (laughs) i mean i think that's a definite factor um i think there's other things that play culturally both on american side as our viewer as our our sense of viewers and our sense of what we think is weird and um, not weird. Where is this voice coming from? Uh, sorry, uh, editor and so is Steven here. I just got back from uh, <laughs> not finishing again. <laughs> greasing the, all the motor parts on the uh, minecart. We have an active mine in the balloon. I don't know if you guys know this, but... Uh, that explains the noises. What are we mining? I don't know, but I'm finding a lot of it. Helium. <laughs> is it all being ran by one Australian man? Sometimes. Been watching Futurama again? <laughs> it depends on whether or not the resort has gotten anybody yet. Okay, so the real answer here before we dive into theoretical answers is because nerds are fucking horny. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, I'll accept that as an answer. I mean, really, like, I can't think of a better answer than that. And also... I, the, the, the short answer is, why not? We make fun of, like... Why is the grass green? Yeah. <laughs> Why is the sky blue? We, we make fun of anime for having the big old bazongas. Like, let's be real honest about it. But also, comic books? Superhero comic books exist, and Power Girl is Power Girl. Like, I mean, Power Girl is a Western comic book character that is infamous for having giant boobies because Wally West was like... Not Wally West. Wally Wood. Wally West is the Flash. Wally Wood is one of the all-time great comic writers who also drew a picture of all the Disney characters having a giant orgy. Um, They do. And helped create Daredevil. Marvel Daredevil. (laughs) Through the orgy? Or do you mean like he also (laughs) No, no. The unrelated. (laughs) Um, Wally Wood's a weird fucking dude. (laughs) Um, But he was like, I'm gonna draw Power Girl's boobs bigger every issue till somebody notices but by issue like two or three he's like i have to stop now they're so big (laughs) they're so big i mean yeah like sex and erotica have been around forever well and i could even make the argument of cartoon is supposed to have 
over-the-top proportions, like, just as a rule. That is not to automatically forgive a lot of sexist depictions in cartoons, because that is, let's be honest, a real problem. But also, like... I'll say this much from the standpoint of what I've seen of, like, big anime titties and the fetishization of it. I'm not pronouncing that word right. Close enough. But close enough. I much prefer that than probably what I would see for small tit anime titties. That... That probably makes me feel more uncomfortable. There is a, a porn comic artist that I follow on Patreon, uh, Brad Gwagar. Mm-hmm. He does a series called Evil Ink. And the, you know, Evil Ink After Dark, which is the porn, like, side stories to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has some really interesting writings. He writes about being like, I'm a porn creator. I'm not embarrassed about this. Here's this. And one thing that's brought up is, like, why do you always do such huge boobs? And he's like, one, it's part of the... He does a very cartoony style. And two, when you draw small titties, it's real easy to Get weird. look young. Like, it just... Especially with the anime art style, where in which, like Tyler was talking about, features are overly heightened a lot of times. To... Bigger eyes automatically make people look younger. Mm-hmm. It's it's an American cultural thing of like like the bright eyed fucking characters as well. It's not even just that. I mean, it's literally a human thing. It's uh, it's babies. Yeah. Uh, because children literally have different proportion size heads. We go, oh, baby. So when you have a big eye, small bajumblies person, you're like, baby, you, you. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're going you. Yeah. You. Um, or you just don't make that jump to baby and... But the point is, like... And, I mean, the point I'm making exactly. is it's very easy when you do a smaller boobed character to make them look younger accidentally. It, it Obviously, it's not to be like, every character's gotta have a G-cup, because that sounds terrible for back pains. Great for chiropractors. But <laughs> it, it's just kind of an easy workaround. And again, nerds be horny. I'm and I don't just say mean dudes. I I'm just, still gonna say kabuki, but... Yeah. There might be something there. And I you were like, looking up something about the fucking Hayes Code or something like that. I mean, just like it's cultural differences in that, like, comic production. In America, we had the Comic Authority. And then, like, um, uh, movie production, we have the MPAA. Mm-hmm. And before that, the Hayes Code, where in which we were very fucking culturally, America is kind of fucking tame with its sexuality. Yeah, we were founded by the Puritans. We've never quite shaken that off. Yeah, we're really fucking unwilling to touch on sexual topics, but real okay with violence. We should also just be very careful to say, as we are two white guys and a Latino guy, we're not throwing any shade at, like, Asian cultures for having big booby ladies in it or anything like that. Like, this is not... I don't no, know. It's just like it's, it's, it's addressing so, the trope. Yes, yeah, it's just, just so easy to fetishize Asian culture when talking about anime <laughs> that I wanted to like. Quick note. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're also I, I myself am a cisgendered dude. <laughs> so like I yeah. have a very limited. Who lives in fucking Montana? I have a very limited view. <laughs> yeah. So take it with a brick of salt. It does brick. help make food wars fun, though. Like, <laughs> I mean, I I enjoy food. Like, I enjoy fan service, and like in the various forms that you can see it there, and it can be utilized in certain um, uh, anime, where in which like it is legitimately being meta reflexive to the audience and talking about fan service and its use in it. It is the two things that I think Japanese manga has a definitive edge over American comic books. I mean, there's all sorts of places Boobies? where we can argue. Well, kind of. One is fan service. 
And like, there's some fan service manga that I've read that I was like, this sucks. But mm-hmm. there are also, you know, Food Wars, we've done fucking three episodes on General Nerdery. We've got another two coming up this summer. Like, and that is the fan service show, but it's also still a really good story in its own right. It is harder for American comics to do that because the only people who really fucking try for the most part are like weird 90s bad girl pinup shit where you're like, those are some rockin' boobies and some cool skull bikini you got going on there. But your story is dog shit. Yeah. (laughs) I have a specific character I'm not naming because he's more successful than me and good for you. And then the other thing is just slice of life. Like a manga can do actually both like a slice of life fan servicey thing and it can be fucking great. And like in American comics, we don't have that. Yeah. Like it's not at all uncommon for a manga or an anime to just like go into a hot spring, go in beach resort episode. I'm beach going vacation. shopping. Um, yeah. uh, whatever to just give you for some reason shots of people in bikinis and really just linger on like, there's terms for fucking... What was it? The, the Gynax Bounce, which is just like a... <laughs> for how big their titties are and how they particularly like to linger mm-hmm. on shots mm-hmm. of them bouncing. And that a, one specific noise they always fucking do. Like, it's, it's a thing. And I feel like American comics don't do it because there's a cultural prevalence of the idea that, like, comics are for children. Ooh, that could be something about it, too. Um, also, as we said, they're just willing to get a lot more... It's not that, like, sex happens any earlier in Asian cultures, because I remember being 13, 14 years old and just being like, I'm not 100% sure what sex is, but I think I want it. (laughs) It's a combination of sex ed and, like, puberty, or, like, a terrible American sex ed and puberty. They're a little more comfortable with expressing the fact that 14-year-olds are fucking horny in anime. And there can be real conversations about if that's good or bad or whatever, but, like, Teenagers be horny is a thing that exists. It's it's a fucking part of our fucking thing. This entire conversation is making me think of um, a quote from a uh, Miyazaki interview. The guy did like My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. where he just says the line "anime was a mistake." <laughs> okay, not wrong, but at the same time, <laughs> not wrong, but I still enjoy it. There's a lot of mistakes I like to make. Well, in order to keep our jury going, we're going to have to drop some ballast. Luckily, Zach is stuffed to the brim with a sword to John or Fax. This time, they're struggling to get loose from him, and we're just going to have to let him blow some off, or else he's going to blow us off course. So, Zach, drop Maybe your... because we just talked about anime titties, but every version of that sentence you've done has sounded vaguely sexual to Drop me. your big knowledge load on us. <laughs> Thank you. Today, we are discussing the Mrs. Doubtfire of superheroes... Madam Fatal. I keep wanting to call it Madame Fatal because the reason the way I read Madame with the E at the end, I read as Madame, but... Would it not be Madame Fatal? It sounds so much better, so I'm going to go with that. Madame... Ma- Madame Fatal. <laughs> Madame Fatal, created by Art Panagian, a.k.a. Richard Stanton, is the very first cross-dressing superhero. Huh. Richard Stanton is a handsome, pipe-smoking, dapper, middle-aged, blonde, Caucasian man, how Wikipedia decided to describe them, uh, who is exceptionally intelligent and intuitive and rich thanks to the stock market. He also is a world-class Shakespearean actor appearing on Broadway. Of course he is. Yep. All of this during the 1920s. 
So, you know, literally the fucking... Oh, no. So his rich off the stock market is... Not a good thing. <laughs> also, probably going away, but that doesn't really yeah. come up. Um, however, instead of being like, there's entire books written about how the excesses of the 20s is a bad thing, it's just that everyone else is jealous of him. Including a man named uh, John Carver, a crime kingpin who had been dating uh, his... Stanton's wife before she, you know, became married. Stanton's Stanton, wife. yes, before she became Stanton's wife. Stanton and this unnamed wife, whose name I cannot find, even though I know I've read it before. No, it just says Stanton's wife. Okay, sorry. Um, have a two-year-old daughter who is kidnapped by John Carver. The wife being like, oh my god, it's it, it's a little unclear. In some versions, it's like they were trying to get his money, so they kidnapped the daughter. In other versions, the crime kingpin was incredibly angry that the woman decided not to marry the crime kingpin and instead married the guy who probably didn't get his money through ethical means. Again, stock market in the 20s and 30s. And she dies of a broken heart. So. Padme? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Desperate to save his two-year-old daughter, Stanton decides to go undercover as an old lady <laughs> to fight crime and rescue his daughter from the thieves. <laughs> wow. So his whole shtick is like he waddles in on like a cane and they're like, nobody's going to suspect this old grandma. And then it turns out he's everything else that you listed. And 100% yes, that is absolutely what it is. And I quote from Wikipedia, Stanton was able to infiltrate the John Carver gang due to his convincing acting and stage disguise as an old helpless red cloaked woman with a yellow walking cane, which doubled as a sly quarterstaff. Once inside their lair, Stanton then used his natural athleticism and physical abilities to wipe out the unsuspecting gang. Baller move. <laughs> uh, in a battle to death with Carver, Carver knocks Stanton to the ground and attempts to shoot him with a revolver, but Stanton quickly pulls out the rug from underneath Carver, literally, tripping him, and Carver shoots himself instead. <laughs> While dying, the crime kingpin tells Stanton his daughter is still alive, though held captive by another villain, never revealing who. I'm sorry, but the princess is in another castle. 100%. Stanton decides to retire from acting, making his last appearance in Broadway on May 1st of 1930, which is weird that all of this is, like, so specifically written down. He appears as an old woman, which gains him critical praise and acclaim, and then disappears to become Madame Fatal, Madame Fatale, full-time in ever-pursuing search for his daughter. So his last public appearance... Is it's to give away his, his disguise <laughs> yes. that he's going to use yes. from then on. I I don't even know. I'm so... Uh, I when, need this to be a movie somehow? When DC... Also, no. Oh, God, sorry. But also, no. <laughs> Actually, I think there's some really fun stuff you could do, especially with all the weird trans panic happening right now and the attack on drag culture. It's why I picked this character, beyond the fact that I just fucking love the Mrs. Doubtfire of superheroes. Uh, like, you could do some real stuff with this. Anyways, uh, when DC bought the character, they decided not to continue the plotline, and it was the, the story of what happened to his missing daughter wasn't revealed until the shade number four in 2012. <laughs> I really hope that... What happened to the 70 daughter? 70 years later. What? what? By James Robinson, who will be mentioned so many times across these various things. Robinson's great. Uh, he appears in The Shade, where The Shade is a supervillain who is only kind of a super... It, the Shade will join the Injustice Gang, sure, but also he'll help out if you, like, 
ask him nicely and buy him nice coffee. Uh, it turns out that the Shade's just happy to be involved. Yeah, basically, I got. I've read this, but I haven't read it in just a long time. Included. It was. I want to say they were in like a fucking helicarrier like thing, like some big major criminal gang, and Madame Fatale finally tra- traces down his daughter. Eight years later, he's been Madame F- Madame Fatale for eight years, and him and the Shade end up like taking out this entire area of goons and villains to rescue his now ten year old daughter. To make it even better. This was drawn by Darwin Cook, who wrote, oh. uh, drew and wrote uh, Justice League: The New Frontier, and a bunch of did a lot of the character design work for Batman Beyond. Like, did the entire intro scene for Batman Beyond, like oh, one of the cool. best cartoon intros of all time. That's rad. On a 1998 computer over a weekend, like nice. it was 1999, so it's actually not like as bad as that sounds. But uh, I just really want this character to just like decide to be an old lady all the time. <laughs> Just I mean, like it really, sounds like they kind of go to that, and it's never quite clear. Just like really, just like on their day off, just like she's not never her daughter. She was not popular. It turns out that the cross dressing was not very popular in the year nineteen forty. Yeah. Um, because Americans suck. Sorry, I'm one. I should know, but like, and you know, we've always had a fear of drag queens and trans people that we should not have. But comic books have always, like, comic book creators have kept a fascination. In uh, the Golden Age, which is where he, that book came up before it, with um, Dan Dynamite. Oh, okay. Dan the Dynamite. Dan, yeah, Dan the Dynamite. Uh, but in it, supervillains the Fiddler and Gambler are all trying to hit on Madame Fatale while uh, various female supervillains are standing there giggling, not being like, you have no idea what you're getting into. <laughs> uh, which is a little problematic in the modern day and age, but also like... Fun little, like, throw-out. And then in JSA 1, also by James Robinson, which we read in our Dr. Fate episode of New Island way back in the day. That's right. Uh, Wildcat is wondering what if his own funeral will, quote, be like the time they buried Madame Fatale here and no one turned up for the funeral but the touring cast of La Cage à Foles. That's right. So I guess broad, like, he keeps his Broadway reputation. I mean, he's a great actor. The Birdcage. Also, he's just got... Oh, man, yeah, it cute. really is. He's just got, like, this little yellow cane that just turns into a quarterstaff. That's basically Daredevil's billy club, Link. Yeah. Just keeps wrapping back around to Daredevil, huh? Everything does. Well, that's it for today, folks. We're taking off. But before we go, we'd like to remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows at earvrm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. As always, we want to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and to Ian Ford for our theme song, Tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. Up, up, and away. 